and take a little different approach. It will make sense as we roll through it. But in Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles, turn to verse 6. If you have the, you know, the, the paper version, so to speak. Both, either way, turn there. We're going to keep coming back to this verse. So I don't know how you do it with the digital because I, I actually use two windows when I'm doing it. So if I'm on one verse and then I'm going back to it. I, I, I sometimes don't keep up with the teaching. When you, you, does that make sense? Like if I covered twelve verses tonight, bouncing around, um, I think at some point you're like, okay, I'll get the tape. <laughs> well, I guess we don't say it that way anymore. I'll catch it online now. Is how we say it. So anyway, however it is, we're going to come back to eleven six a, a couple of different times in Hebrews chapter eleven, um, verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think I could do a quick survey. Maybe you could, some of you could share a little bit. But Do you have a, what some people call a life verse? You have one that just seems to, it just seems to come up. It's, it's not like... You just close your eyes and picked one. It's just in your life reality and your walk with God, you know, one verse or two comes to mind. Do you may have anything you want to share? Anything that really stand out, like fresh in your mind? Because, Kim. Oh, yeah, but you're first. Sweet. Colin. Yeah, it's it's a rule. It's like golden. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, that was in Matthew 25, but teach others what you would want them to do to you is actually my life. Okay, so sweet. Yeah. Because that's a lot to chew on, right? Yeah. I mean, you really, in, in all different circumstances and different situations, that can have a, you know, literally as we would think of mentally to, to, to chew on it, to, to really you know, kind of mull it over and to ponder and to wonder and see how it's applied. And this verse has uh, really been one for me from when we moved out here. Um, that was 23 years ago. And um, it was just what, you know, God just kind of kept bringing me back to it and bringing me back to it. And it was really encouraging because as I broke it down, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Well, I didn't, we as a family and, and in, the, in the gathering that was here, um, some of you may know Rich and Ramona Kalman. They became our first host family 23 years ago as a Bible study. So we were meeting at their house. We had one family that was able to do it for just briefly, and then once we really got established, uh, the, the Kalmans actually ones where we met. And so we were with them and a couple others, and so there was this group that God brought together. But we realized we, we all wanted to please him. We actually wanted a deeper relationship with him. And so that was what our desire. And so I think when you want that, God brings you into a group of people that want that. You, when you're hungry for that. Now, interestingly enough, there are oftentimes like the makeup of the apostles. They're, they're people you wouldn't have picked on your own. There are people you would have probably avoided, actually. You know, either economically, you know, their whole lifestyle, whatever it may be. But if you look at the, the makeup of the 12 apostles, he brought some very um, interesting people together, seriously. And so, but the common passion is, is they were done with the whole religious thing. 
They were, many of them Jews, as you know, and they were just, they seen through the hypocrisy of the system and all the things that were so problematic in real life and, and were not true. And so, you know, he just brings them together, and I think it's for us, because it's a desire to please him. And here's the thing, for he who comes to God must believe that God is God. And which is interesting, because when we come to God, sometimes we come to God with our baggage, and, and it's just how I am. It's just who I am. I'm so glad I'm forgiven. I'm so glad I'm born again. You know, this is just kind of my cross to bear. And sometimes we, we, we really got to stop and maybe even just take that analogy of a pack. And when you're on a journey and a trek, and you stop and you unload it. And you discard anything that you shouldn't be carrying. I've done it before. I've been hiking and I realized I am not packing all this up and all this back. And I've stopped, and I've kind of lightened my load to get where I need to go and come back. So you see, there's times you just have to stop and go, man, I've I got to offload. i got to unload some of this because I'm, I'm coming. I believe God is God, and I want to be closer to him. So not only that, and that he, God, is a, and the way you can see this verse, he's a responder and a rewarder. Because to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, he obviously is responding to them with something. In other words, as you and I seek him, he is himself. And so we encounter him, we experience him, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's something that we know interferes or prevents. No faith... Lack of faith or unwilling to go by faith means it's impossible to please him. You know, I believe that's there because really many times we, maybe subconsciously, we try to follow God, but we use a reference. We use perhaps a comparison. Maybe we're looking at other Christians that maybe, for whatever reason, we respect and maybe for really good reasons, we're trying to emulate, and, and sometimes we're missing out on the empowering and missing out on that intimacy and that personal relationship with God. So uh, what I want to do is I want to go to Paul's life, and we're going we're gonna to start with the Hebrews 11.6. So, and we'll, we'll actually, I'm going to interject that as we look through Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to bring that not only as a reminder of our theme and thought, but also see how as Paul lives his life and shares his life, you know, we know he is an example of a man who was willing to live by faith. Willing to, he desired to please God. He had an experience in religion that he was rescued from on the road to Damascus. And from then on, he's having to rewrite his life. He, and it's not just his determination. It's his encounter and the intimacy he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. So join now with me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 7. Paul has laid out his history, his ancestry, his training culturally, uh, where he was within the systems, if you would. And he realizes, you know, all that had its place, but it's, it was fulfilled in Christ. And the relationship he now has in Christ brings him into a closer, a deep relationship with God more than all those other things would. So we see in verse 7, these things were gained to me, I've counted loss for Christ. So I'm going to put this to you to ponder this week and make a note of and wonder, you know, what, what things do have I realized 
carry no merit with me now. There may still be of monetary value. They may still be of vocational and some measure of relational value. But they don't, they don't elevate you into a closer relationship with Christ. He literally is just counting them lost. Those things don't, what did he have? Well, he is trained under the best um, teacher, the best rabbi. He was born in the right family. He lived right. He, you know, he, yeah, but he said, those things, those don't, those don't bring me closer to God. They're actually a loss, maybe even a deficit, if not maybe possibly a burden. And he's saying, these things I count a loss. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. What he's saying, and he's telling himself, and the Lord's bringing through Paul's life, and what he's told us about his life to impart into our lives, is these things of this world, they have their place. But they're not to have the same power. They're not to have the, the power over us, the control over us. Paul's saying, I, I, everything, I, I count all things lost in comparison or in relation, in, some, in a relative sense. They don't compare to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And, and you know, Peter, he ends his, his letter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he ends that encouraging you and I to to do something, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in what? The grace and knowledge of the Lord. And Paul's saying here, you know, this, this excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. It's not the doctrine. Doctrine is very important. But you don't study doctrine to know God. You get to know God, and then you discover doctrine. Does that make sense? Because the Christian circles, you know, people just tend to talk about a lot of things that they just need to grow deeper in their walk with Jesus and less in their conversational engagement among Christians. Because, you know, Christians, have you noticed they argue about really silly stuff? Now, when I say that, I could, you know, I mean, I could, I'm sure I'll, I could get email. Well, I'll help, help the emailers. So, like, they, they argue about worship songs. They argue about expression of worship. They argue about, you know, um, it, did, did God do it or did I do it? Was I, was I predestined or have I, do I have free will? Guess who doesn't argue about that? The very people Jesus went to. The lost. They don't give a rip. Do they care? They don't even know what you're arguing about. They can't figure out why you're all up talking about Hillsong or whatever type of thing going on. Or, you know what I mean? They, it's, it's like, why is it that we get over to this when we're actually called to, to really grow and to know the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord? And notice what he says, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He, did, he literally lost a lot of things, literally. Uh, family, it seems all pretty evident. It cost him his, most all of his family relationships and relatives. Um, his position in culture, in society, his uh, reputation, everything, everything was literally lost to him because of the way he was proclaiming the gospel. And yet he goes on to say, I count that as a loss, that I may gain Christ. I'm willing to give up that to gain this. If this is what I'm truly gaining, then I'm not losing anything. I'm gaining so much. It's like, 
you know, giving up your garbage. Like, no, man, no, I want to keep this package. My ham came in it. So what? I have a relationship with this ham. We had a great meal together. And, you know, you're like, how silly would that be? And yet God is offering us something so much richer and we're holding on to the sloppy leftovers thinking like somehow this is a value. And like, no, that's a loss. Even that, anything is like, man, I, I, I want to I grow in such a way that I would be found in him not having, verse 9, my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So here's this righteousness, and righteousness is an important thing. Rightness, righteousness speaks of rightness in relationship. So you want to be in right relationship with your creator. And so Paul, prior to the cross, he, he, he's, you know, he's living in the Old Testament. It's what he's trained in is what he knows. He's living there, and there, there's a rightness that he figures, okay, if I follow these things, but sadly, at his point in history, where he was living, the Jude- Jewish system had taken, men had taken what man had given, and they'd manipulated it for the wrong thing, thinking that man then thought, according to Galatians, that, well, I can be made right by following this, but this was only meant to be a schoolmaster a tutor, a teacher, to show you that you can't be made right by your own effort. So this rightness, this righteousness that, that Paul is referencing back to, that, that doesn't work, but there's this rightness that's by faith in Christ because as Paul's writing from jail, in the Philippian jail, as he's writing a little later in his life, I think the Holy Spirit's just bringing to understanding that there's a righteousness in my faith, and that's the only righteousness there is. The faith in the living God, faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in, you know, um, attendance, tithing, um, serving in any capacity. There's no, there's no faith in that. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Not faith that makes you right. There's faith in, integrated into it. But you see what I'm saying? It doesn't make you right. It's, it's a result of rightness. It's not an attempt to gain righteousness or righteousness. So, you know, he says that which is a, it's a faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And what is he wanting to do? Not just the outwardly. That's not what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to have the inward, the deeper relationship with Christ, which will then have result in a different outward expression. Notice verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Every single Christian, every single one of us tonight who's here or listening to this, we need to know in a deeper way, in a personal level, in a very intimate manner, a greater understanding, a greater experience of the power of his resurrection. What is the power of his resurrection? He, he, raised, he raised, was raised from the dead, conquering death and hell. And all the things that were entangled around humanity, he's, he's severed, he's cut loose. All the lusts, all the temptations, all the things, they're no long, they no longer have power over you. They have influence in your life because you live here. But they don't have power over you. And, and he's, Paul said, I want to know this power of his resurrection. That, that power that was brought forth by the person of the Holy Spirit 
the same person that indwells you and I, God in the person of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we're told, is the power that resides within us. And I can say confidently, not one of us is experiencing that power in the, to the measure we would like to. There, there, there's more. I want to know what it is. I want to understand it. And here's something that will help us see a little bit of it. The fellowship of his sufferings. Excuse me? No, I want power to climb a hill. I want power to go faster. I want power to make things more better. This is what he's saying. Look at what he said. The fellowship of his sufferings. You know, you think of I, we think of fellowship, right? We, we have, it's wonderful. I, I love what the koinonia, the gathering together and, and, the, and, the, and the engagement, that it's a powerful thing in human experience. But he's talking about of his sufferings, of his anguish and hurt and the hardship in this life. Paul realized that that fellowship of the sufferings was instrumental in depending upon God. Because when you have been hurt by everyone and this world has robbed you and taken from you and when you're in that part, in that point where everything is just really gloomy, you realize, I don't want any of this. I I want him. I I want him. I I, I want a fellowship with Christ. And the the sufferings and the things you go through, as we're told and even referenced in one of the songs tonight, it's in our weakness that we realize strength. I've been chewing on this one. I haven't, uh, you guys get the rough draft version of this uh, thought that I'm, you know, cooking in the cranium. But uh, hardship, heartache, um, just really hard times in our lives. The love of God shines brighter, warmer, and with more compassion through a broken heart. Is that not true? It's through a broken heart and through the tears and through the grief that we, the love, when I say shines through, it impacts other people differently. You know, we can speak of the love of God in a doctrine, but when we shine through a broken heart, this love of God, we have a fellowship of his sufferings. We're, we're knit together with him. And as he suffered, and, you know, as we know later in, um, you know, he, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you know, talking about the, how, how Jesus went to the cross, how he was even, you know, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. How, what he went through. And, and Paul said, I, I, I need that. I think Paul was also saying, I don't really want it in the flesh. See, there's something that happens, because here, your, your faith, my faith, we have to be living on the boundary of life. And so these creatures, our comfort is oriented uh, around, that's a perception how the good life is, certain comfort. But can we agree that the fence line between comfort and faith, you, you need to be more to the other side, you desire that. Because the more comfort we have, the harder we are to move and to propel and to go forward into this deeper relationship with Christ. So I'm not a masochist. I'm not saying we should just make things hard in our life and just see if that makes a difference. But you, you understand what I'm saying, right? If we start focusing on it, as long as I can be more comfortable, if I have this or that, and maybe a, a place in the, you know, in the southern states in the warmer weather for winter, and then I could go north, you know, because that's kind of how we are as a culture. 
I'm not, I'm not critiquing it or I'm not criticizing it. I'm maybe critiquing it. Saying, well, I, don't mind, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Provided it's not at the expense of being moved by God in faith. If we say, you know, I, I, I just don't want to do that. I just want to have this and build this. And so let's move along with what we find here. Being conformed to his death. So how are we conformed to his death? You know, we think from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're, we're not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, so here it's speaking of we're conformed to his death. We're, we're conformed by his death. I think a couple things are sentimental in, in a sense of experiential, meaning your sentiment is stirred often when you take communion, agreed? When we have a quiet time, or maybe the particular song, or however it may be, but you know, as we take it corporately, oftentimes, you know, it's 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 very moving to us to realize what he went through, to to just consider and and somehow think at a, at a more clear level of his suffering, being conformed to his death, realizing, man, he he did that for me, and I want to be conformed. I don't want to be in any way attached to this world. I want to be more shaped by him and even you know, his, his death. Paul says in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It, it, it's hard to, to grasp the, the real thrust of the sentence when it's translated into English. It's literally saying, you know, Paul's like, you know, I, I desire to arrive at this, this relationship, this resurrection from the dead, this eternal focus. You know, he's not thinking, I hope I can make it, because that's kind of, I, I, I may attain, leaves us to speculate, well, could he not attain? Could he maybe not be there? And if he has to attain, doesn't that imply he has to do the work to attain something? But if you realize his desire is to arrive at. If I'm going to arrive at some place, I'm either going to get there on my own, or I'm going let, to let another vehicle, another means carry me there which he's already laid that out when he talked about righteousness, his right, our righteousness in Christ, that Christ carries us. So he desires to have this close relationship. So now we're going to go back. You can just toggle over with me to Hebrews eleven six. Remember what that one was? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So verses 7 through 11, Paul also is like, I, I want to live by faith. Now let that thought carry us into verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I, lay, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What a beautiful statement from somebody who has experienced God's hand in so many ways. Beginning, maybe you could say, in that Damascus Road encounter where he basically gets blasted off the donkey He's blinded, and he has to. He's like all of a sudden, God's a whole different reel to him. He was going north to Damascus to cut off this movement called later Christianity. He was going to get rid of it. He was so zealous and so determined to do something God's way and for God. And yet, what happens? He meets God, and now his whole life is turned over. All of a sudden, he's going to like, oh wow, this is a whole different reel. This is a whole different thing. And and Jesus says, you know, why? Why are you persecuting me? It's hard when you, to, for, to kick at the goads, not goats, 
goads. You know, goads was actually an implement that would, when an oxen would kick back, it was a pointed stick, so they would hold it really firm. And when the oxen would kick back, it would kick, it's kicking back like this, its hoof would strike that pointed goad. It basically would tell them, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts, doesn't it? You know, and, and that's what's being told to Paul. It hurts, doesn't it? You're not getting it. The, 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 the oxen never won. You know what I mean? Oh, well, maybe they broke the goad. Great, now you got a sharper pointy stick to kick at. It just never, you never win. And so it's an interesting analogy or, or description. And Paul's like, whom are you, Lord? And now he starts on this journey. And he has this very terrible, from a human experience thing, where he's blind, he's completely dependent on other people. He has a situation for a few days. He's like sorting all this out. And then, man, what an amazing thing. But he actually spends many years in the wilderness. I don't know if you knew that. He spent many years. He didn't just go from the Damascus Road experience to a speaking tour. You know what I'm saying? He, he spent many years working out what faith is and working out what we're talking about here. Notice he says, I haven't already got there. This is later in his life. He's in jail again. And he's looking at his life like, I'm not there yet. But I, I know you're faithful. Not that I've already arrived or I'm already perfected. You know, many seem to be complacent or content to live a life of mediocrity in their spiritual existence. And yet Paul's example to us is like, I'm not there yet. To the very end, when he says to Timothy, send Mark, because they had a little beef earlier, but so he says, send Mark, for he's beneficial to me. Send my cloak, send my coat, it's cold here, and the parchments, the, the, the books, the writing. Because at the very end, when he knew in, in 2 Timothy, where he's about to depart... He's still longing to know more about the Lord. He's still longing to walk closer with the Lord. Well, isn't that a great example here? He's like, I'm not there yet. But I press on that I may take hold of that for what Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Yes, for my personal salvation, for Paul's salvation, your salvation. But there's something experiential in this time we live in that he's laid hold of us for. For one, to be a light, because Jesus said we're to be a light in the world. He's a light in the world. We're to be his light, you know, shining in this world. When, when people are hungry, he used a comparison. Like when there's physical needs, we're to be even the one who extends a cup of water. When you give water to that person, you've, you've, when you do it not to the least of these, you've did it not to, to me. When you give water to this person, it's like giving water to the Lord. He was telling us to have compassion, be aware how to live in this life and, ha- and desire that. And, and, and that we would be God's expression of, of kindness, of compassion, of empathy, of love, of hope, of truth. That The lost would want what we have. We should not be trying to be like the world because then the world will not want what we have because they got a better version of what we're faking. Right? I mean, they've, they got that. And they're already saying... Whatever, I'm done with this. I'll keep using it because I'm addicted to it. But I'll, I'm, I don't. This money isn't making me happy. This stuff isn't doing the doing what it could do. What I thought it would do. Yet we come along with the hope of the gospel, and I believe that's where I think the church is confused, the, the body of Christ, because you know we're 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 speaking and functioning and moving in, in Christian circles. We're not sure how to let the light shine outside of our little subculture. And I think we've got to be personally, individually, be thinking, how does that, how does that work? How, how is it that I reach people? 
You don't have to be a verbal evangelist. That shouldn't be your focus. You should be transformed in the inside. And then when you start having a compassion and a kindness, and when I'm more empathetic to people who don't know the Lord, guess what? I'm going to be used by the Lord. He's going to use me. You know, because like, I'll send a couple of you in a tailspin, not intentionally, but it's probable. Um, you know, politics does very little for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're conservative, which most of us probably are, then we have, we look here, we see from scripture, okay, this is it. And when we're around somebody that's liberal, we get really offended and we listen to them very long and we get really offended. How is it that as Christians, we're put out by the very people Jesus came to? Do you think he came to a liberal? Do you think he came to an immoral? An unethical? A tramp, a slut, uh, fill in the blanks, party or whatever. That's what the, this tells us he did. And yet we're like, well, that was different back then. It was. It was probably worse. If you haven't studied the Roman authority, you haven't studied the latter part of the Roman Empire, it's hard to say you should, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it wasn't good. I mean, absolute power corrupt. Or power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And it would just come apart. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't be vocal. Let's just be very careful. Because I, I don't want to have, like, where even as I teach, and I'm very, I've got some very um, deep convictions, but they're not as deep as Jesus' convictions. They're not even close. And somehow he managed to speak to a Pharisee. Somehow he managed to speak to a woman at the well. Somehow he managed to engage in such a way that they actually knew he, he cared about them. He respected them. He, they could go to him. He didn't bring up the hot topic about their problems first and say, you need to clean your act up or God will have nothing to do with you. Do we do that? Do we sometimes say, you got to clean your act up? Oh, I see. Let's clean the fish before we catch them. You ever tried doing that? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. It's like, how can you expect someone to clean their act up? They do not have the power of God within them. They're not born of the Spirit. What you and I struggle to accomplish with the help of the power of God, we're asking them to accomplish with no power to do it. This is something to remind yourself, and I'll I'll say it to I say it to myself frequently. Sinners are really good at sinning. They're really good at it. And why do we expect anything different? I look at my life. You couldn't convince me otherwise. You couldn't persuade me. It wasn't until literally the, God's perfect timing and his faithful persistence in pursuing me and you that he met us at that crossroad of conversion. And at that moment, he opened our eyes like he did even with Paul. And he revealed to us our own sinful hearts. And before that could depress us, he awakened us to his, his forgiveness. And he brought his forgiveness to us. And we were smart enough to say, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. What did you bring on the deal? What, what, what closed the deal for you? You brought nothing. The only thing I can give God, the only thing Paul's expressing here that I can give to him is life. This, this life is all, I can't bribe him with the goods of this world. I can't trick him with the persuasion and some kind of sales pitch. 
I can only bring what I have. the one thing I have is my life to him. Say, God, can I, I just give this to you? So look, he says, I want to take hold of it. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I love it when the Bible says one thing. Uh, Ten commandments, that's just getting too heavy. You know what I mean? One thing. Okay, one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. So how do we do that? So I want you to think right now of the things you forgot and focus on forgetting them for me. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. If I remember what I forgot, I didn't forget it. And if I try to remember to forget it, I have to not forget it to, in order to remember it, you, you see, what does it mean? How do, have you ever tried to forget something? I mean, something that just comes up in the middle of the night. You have a memory of a terrible event of your life. Like, oh, I can't seem to forget it. You know, here's the thing to remember and even realize. This word speaks of to neglect. To forget something, you neglect it. You no longer give it the attention you used to give. So there's certain things and times we look back and that was things we want to forget. I want to let go, I, but I can't erase it. I don't get to format the hard drive of my mind. I have to say, you know what? I'm not giving it the attention I used to give. And that's the decision that we make as we move along as Christians, whether it's the sin more recently, whether it's the shameful thing of our history, whatever. When it comes up, because it probably will, when it comes up, we neglect it. I don't, well, how do I neglect it? As we're going to see later in Philippians, we choose to think differently. I'm not going to give that. I'm not going to let it have residence in my mind to think about. I'm going to choose what I'm going to think about. And that I've been cut loose from, that I've been set free from. It's now trying to influence me, but it has no power over me. And I'm going to neglect it. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward, it speaks of, it's actually, many see it as a term in relation to the, um, the forerunner to the, the, like what we, our contemporary Olympic Games. So it was around these different games that they, they got together for. It was just a big, huge event. And so at the finish of a run, you know, like you think of a sprinter or any of them, you can have a relay. And at the last one, as you get into the line, what's he do? He's pressing forward, leaning. Literally, it's, the, it's not just like push a button. It's everything I've got because this is the end of the race. I'm exerting and extending everything I have, all energy. to. The, I'm letting go, forgetting of those things which are behind and pressing forward to the things which are ahead. And notice this like reminder to yourself, to himself, Paul has. I press toward the goal for the, up, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, I believe God has something much better for us than we've experienced. I believe God has something much more than we can imagine. We call it heaven. It's not just my personal belief. It's a documented reality, a historical truth that's going to unfold. The Bible makes it very clear. So, you know, I think we have uh, a temporal purpose with the eternal perspective. And I believe there's an element of that. I'm pressed for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus but it's not just that. It's the upward call. Like, I want to see people rise above their defeats. I want to see people brought up because of the hope of the gospel. It won't be because of a pastor's wit or his ability to deliver a four-point outline or somebody's, you know, a neighbor, you're their neighbor and you take out their trash for them every now and then. All those things are they're fine. But I want to see people come into a closer relationship with God, and I want to introduce them. I want, that's the upward call of God in our life. It's our desire more than anything else. 
that people would experience what we've experienced and they would somehow just be transformed because God did it. Because God did it. And, and, and hopefully we're going to be like Paul. I, I want to grow too. Therefore, verse 15, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. And if any, anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal even this to you. You know, Paul wasn't the authoritarian. Somebody impl- some imply that he is. Like, well, you know, Paul's the one. He just had kind of had to have the last word and everything and everything. You know, Paul was this. And it's as if they, God had no participation in the preservation of his word. That somehow Paul just got the most stuff into the final count. And you look at it and it's like, you know, listen, this is, as, if you're, as you're mature and it's not in any way derogatory. Know where you are. If you're not strong in, a, in the Bible, if you don't know, say you don't know much. I don't know, it's the first time I've read Philippians in a few years. Start reading it more. Don't be built up, beat up by guilt. Know, know where you're at. And at the same time, as you're mature, you know, have this in mind. And, and if you're not there, God will reveal it. Paul didn't say, if you're not there, email me. I'll, I'll give you my notes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, he's just like, the Lord's going to take care of you. The Lord, as you pursue him, if, you know, let's go back to what? That one verse, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, and I'm praying, I want to know the Bible. You want to know the Bible. We want to mature as Christians. He who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder, a responder of those who diligently seek him. Don't ever think, don't ever get, allow yourself to get into a very um, repetitious prayer life. Let it be vibrant because you remind yourself it's a conversation with the living God. Because when we have that, we realize he is the one who starts teaching us and he'll, he'll give us, a, he'll, he'll, he just responds. Why would God not? Why would God not correct me or comfort you or do whatever he in his love and wisdom needs to do? He's a rewarder. Why would he say, you know, you've been bugging me too much, Dan. You, know, you pray without ceasing. Back off, buddy. You get to heaven, it'll all be fine. Take a chill pill. I mean, he would never say that. I mean, he would be like, okay, he might say, okay, zip it for a minute and listen. You know, because sometimes we like to talk, we ask things, and then we like to talk ourselves into the answer without ever listening for it. But, you, you know, it's just, there's a point where you're like, he'll just, he will always reward you. Don't think of it as monetary and things of this life. We, we prefaced it with this desire to know the resurrection and the power of his sufferings. And when he gives you an insight and an understanding to that, it's not for your uh, ego. It's for your heart. Nevertheless, it says in verse 16, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So to the degree we've got there, live, live with the desire to grow. Because you've just seen that from the previous verses. Brethren, verse 17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. I, I think this is a critical need in the church that we don't draw attention to ourselves, but we let our walk with Christ be emulated by those who are walking with Christ. And so if, if, I, if I, as a pastor, am not setting a good example to walk with Christ, I should not be in the ministry, in a point of leadership. Can we agree? Now, I can tell you right now, that's not always the story, numerically, historically, in church leadership. And I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but you see, the point is, Paul was drawing attention to his walk with Christ because Paul knew he had been placed at a point of influence. 
a point where he would he knew he was accountable. And so there is a blessing to it because you know so many other people will be impacted. You don't want to not stumble them. You know, I'm a realist in the way I look at life. I will do stupid things to me. I will do things that are dangerous. I will do things that are hurtful, that are overly risky, if only one I got to consider is me. You know, I don't know if you want to blame it on a gender and male, whatever, but just guys have a tendency to be more that way, more like stupid, you know. But I won't take those risks if those risks will hurt him. I won't take those risks if I consciously grasp and understand those risks could hurt any one of you in the congregation. Do you see what I'm saying? When we start having this big picture, it's not pressure, it's actually relief. Like, you know, I can't, I'm not, I, no, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to stumble people, I'm not going to strip somebody, I'm going to, I have the risk to doing that just by living life and trying to mature, let alone to consciously, intentionally do something like that. And so, you know, he's like, if you're the same mind, just live it, you know, follow the pattern. For many, this is so important, many walk of whom I have, I told, I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. People gather in the church. This is who he's addressing. People open up their Bible and they read it and they go to Bible studies and they are the enemy of the cross. And he's told them that often. Did you see that? That means that not everybody who gathers is actually born again or surrender to the Spirit. That's a sobering thing. Don't, don't think that you now have to figure out who that person is unless you know it's you. <laughs> you know? But seriously, it's not for you. Here's the thing to always remember, especially if you know somebody that's struggling and walking closer to God. You're never given information about someone or something to judge it but rather to intervene on their behalf. So if you know something and someone's struggling with something, you're, you're, that's not, not just because God said, well, you know, I want you to go do this or this. The first and foremost thing is that you learn to then intercede. That, that's a prayer of intercession. You know? And you think about that. When we start seeing that in our own faults and weaknesses and engaging with others, like, man, I just got to pray because I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to work through this situation. Sometimes it does involve conversation. It says that, you know, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. And notice the clarifier, the conclusion, who set their mind on earthly things. When we set our mind on earthly things, we're easily drawn off course. We're easily distracted. You can read Colossians 3 to help get a balance and keep this in perspective. But Colossians 3, I would just specifically reference, whatever you do in word or deed, do heartily as unto the Lord. So it's not an earthly thing to do the best you can do in your job. It's not, that's not, the, the Bible's not saying, well, just don't, don't do anything good on this earth. It just don't set your heart on these things. Don't, don't make this your identity, that this is my hope, this is my goal. More of this and more of that and this and that and those things. No, don't set, you know, set your mind on earthly things. It's going to be a distraction. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. 
And I, I think you can see, I, for me, each time I read through it, I see it a little more clearly. There's a, uh, a firm softness in Paul's message. And what's that mean? He's not compromising, it's firm, but it's kind. It's compassionate. My beloved brethren. He, he's, he's actually wanting you and me and the Philippians and whoever would read this. I want you to grow. I want you to stand fast in the Lord. I want you to be encouraged. As we see, there's a couple people that are not getting along. Iodia and Sintashi. There, I don't know how to say it. They can correct me later. We get to heaven. Verse 2, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So there's friction. That, now, this is the only time... In the history of the church, it was only, these are the only two people that didn't get along. And ever since then, everything's been fine. So verse 3, obviously I'm being facetious. Like, he's saying, listen, this, this happened in the early church. They're, not, they're, not, they're just not of the same mind. But notice what he says about them. He doesn't get into the middle of the problem. He says to them, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They say he wasn't that overbearing, dictator, authority type person. He knew who he labored alongside. And he said, man, we're, we're all in this together. Each part does its part. I, you know, come alongside them, help them. And then verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We're going to move through this section and deviate because we've got one minute um, before I start getting into overtime. But, you know, that's another 15-minute session. So, just kidding. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. It's a choice to rejoice. It really is. It's not just you know, a positive mental attitude. It's literally having the mindset. It's like, you know, I just, God is good. It may not be a good day. It might not be a enjoyable, maybe a very painful process you're going through, but we can still choose to rejoice. I talked to a friend uh, just today, early this morning, who's really been going through a hard time, really tough. It's been elongated and it seems to get worse more and more. And he could easily, and I've talked to him up till today, and then he's just struggled with working through some things. But then he shared about what he knew about what somebody else is going through. And he goes, I'm not going through anything compared to what they're going through. Compared to what has happened in their world, there's no comparison. And it's almost like, yeah, I just have a reset. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm going to just I'm rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord's at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Such a beautiful thing to just kind of go back to and just like, you know, be anxious for no thing. You know, anxiety is interesting. We're told in the Proverbs that anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression not not clinical it literally think of it physical like in the earth it causes this low spot anxiety in the heart of a man brings him down is another translation and so well, what what is anxiousness because if you deal with it which i do you don't get to say well i'm going to stop being anxious because it creates another level of anxiety to not be anxious <laughs> it doesn't make sense it's like um, 
there is what we know about in Paul's life, who he went through turmoil and trial and perils and all these things that are listed in, in I think it's chapter 12 of maybe Second Corinthians, maybe first. Look it up, you'll find it. Just look up the word perils. Anyway, he goes through this whole list that he's been through. Robbers at sea, you know, beaten, all this stuff. And then he ends that list of things heavy on his heart. And my deep concern for all the churches. So here's where I'm going with it in describing anxiety. You can have a deep concern. It's when it becomes a, a, a consuming thought that transitions into anxiety. See, so anxiety, being, being thoughtful and even kind of a little unrestful about what someone else is going through, that's a deep concern. But the consuming thing is when you just can't stop thinking about it. Because the only way it becomes consuming generally is when we're struggling with handing it off to God. Maybe it's an event you anticipate coming. Maybe it's a legal thing pending. Maybe it's a financial fear, whatever. And we've got to learn to hand it to God. Otherwise, it becomes a consuming thought, a consuming thing. And so um, I, I want to be concerned, but I don't want to be consumed. So think about that. Be anxious for nothing. Be concerned. It's not saying don't care. Be concerned, but don't be consumed. Well, how can I not be consumed? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's always be very careful that our prayer doesn't impart requirements where we should have requests. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you require God? Like, okay, God, you get me out of this and I'll never do that again. Well, that's not really a humble prayer. It sounds like you're surrendering, but you're actually negotiating. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going down. I know I made a mess, but, you know, I just request. Can I just make a petition? And here's the thing to remember. It's okay to be his kid. What does that mean? Think about a three-year-old making a request to a parent. Have they ever made silly requests? I could cite a few. You have one of your, one of your kids. I, mean, they, 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 I can't remember which one it is. You, you always post her, her. Yeah, so she's like, I actually, you're part of a problem of why I still look at Facebook. I want to see Lucy post. <laughs> it's like, just kidding. But she always has this weird, this is kind of hilarious, but like a request. Kids make silly requests. And, and what do you do? Send her to her room. No, you don't. You actually try not to laugh because you're an authority figure in her life and you don't want to make it look like it's okay when you're like busting up inside being a discipliner, you know? So be his kid. I'm not saying don't be thoughtful and mature, but just realize you're going to, we're going to, I've made some amazing requests to God. I don't know if it's just an element of parental humor for him. I don't know, but they're just silly. But he's taught me. To, be, to come boldly to the throne of grace. He's taught me, like, I'm not going to rebuke you for things, Dan. I'm gonna, I want you to grow. I, I, want to, I want to see you mature. And those things change in a different level as you mature, and they all go together, and so it is. And we're told that as we do that, um, something happens. Verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which you can't explain to someone, you can't reason, that's the whole point of being surpassing understanding, you can't explain it to them, it'll guard your hearts and minds. It'll guard you, protect you. 
So that's why when you, someone says, well, I don't understand why you're not freaking out. I don't understand why you don't just tell that person off and let them have both barrels. I don't get it. And you can't even put it into words because you're like, I just have a real peace. God, just give me a real peace. Oh, whatever. You know, they don't, you, you see what I'm saying? They, they, you, it surpasses understanding, but it guards your heart and mind. Let's wrap it up with this. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, that's why we're wrapping it up. It said finally. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind out of Romans 12 too. It's just, it's changing the way we think. It's been honestly my biggest struggle in life as a Christian is to think differently because you and I learn things through our home environment. Certain things, just this is a, a statistical fact, that what we grow up in, in those formative years, it is so hard to change. Even with the new life, we still have behavioral patterns and ways that we think. You know, some of us think more critically, and I don't mean that like the positive critical thinking, but we're just more critical of things. And some of us are more optimistic, but not realistic. And, and that's just a, a normal thought process. Some of us respond differently to relationships because of what we experience it at one, two, three, four, five years old. And so those things are a part of us. And it's one thing that I, I, I just have always had to fight is change the way I think. And I, I finally just quit begging for God to take it away. It's almost like you said, Dan, when you realize you have to think different, you completely depend on me. So... I'm, I'm going to leave it there for now. And you're going to have to learn how to just, because do you ever have to fight stinking thinking? I mean, seriously, it's just like the news will trip it. The neighbors will trip it. The cat will trip it. I mean, it doesn't seem to be, nothing's off the table. Everything, and you're just like, that's what I mean. This world stinks. It's like, duh. <laughs> but how do you, re- so it's like, you know, it, this is like a non-negotiable portion of Scripture. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Those are things I want to think about. And so I sometimes just walk through this. And I can get my like, yeah, it's, it's noble. Is it pure? No, it's not pure. So I start over again. You know. But see, it's very practical to me. I want my faith to be something that I experience and it propels me, it empowers me, it changes me. I don't want to just learn ministry. I don't want to put in 20, 30 years in a pulpit and, and believe that somehow that is power. It's not. It's, it, it can be influence, it can be persuasion, but it's not this power that we all desire. That power comes from just a daily intimacy with God. And, and it comes from just an honesty and a willingness that we would go to him you know, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For when we come to him, we must believe, we must understand and know that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for uh, just being able to walk through together and consider and, I, and that you, God, I know have spoken to each one of us and you brought words of encouragement and even words of correction. And Lord, may we not 
slip into a, a, a pattern and a behavior that eventually becomes insensitive to your voice, that loves the church more than it loves you. And so God, do a work, and I pray for just all of us as your children in the church globally, that we would be changed by your presence, that there would be a form and type of revival that the world has never known, as your people would learn to love, learn to walk with you, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to the things which are ahead. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.